0: Well, I want to welcome you uh, this morning, those here at our 930 Cornerstone service, as well as those at our cafe service at 11 o'clock. Uh, we're delighted to, uh, to have you today, and I'm excited to share with you the fourth message of this series uh, entitled Rooted. We're looking at where we are rooted uh, as the First United Methodist Church of Mansfield, uh, looking uh, specifically at the 18th century movement uh, led by John Wesley that gave birth uh, to Methodism. And over the course of these last few weeks, we've uh, we've looked at three of five aspects we're going to look at over the course of this series uh, that really shaped Methodism and, and led to the explosive growth that it experienced not only in the 18th century, uh, but on into the 19th and 20th century. Uh, and, and I want you to know at the end of this, there's not going to be a quiz. like This isn't a class on Methodism, uh, uh, but rather we've talked about the idea uh, that history is what shapes our identity and our identity is what defines our future future. trajectory. And so looking back at our story, uh, the purpose of this series, the idea behind this series is having a clear understanding uh, of who we are uh, so that we have a clear understanding of where we might go. That we look back at the past, we we look back at our history in order to clarify for us uh, our identity, who we are, and also to define for us what our future trajectory is. Uh, needs to be, and, and in the first two weeks, we talked about uh, that part of what Wesley believed was that the Christian life was a calling to a holy life. This was one of the, the main emphasis that was a, a part of the, uh, the early movement of Methodism. And, and when it came to holiness, Wesley believed that holiness must be pursued that once you began the life of faith, said yes to Jesus, it wasn't as if you were just supposed to wait around for holiness to become a reality in your life. Rather, it was meant to be the singular aim of your life. It was something that you were supposed to vigorously pursue in your life. And because of his engagement with the poor, uh, with the suffering of his day, uh, Wesley understood uh, the life of faith as being about the head, the heart, the hands, and the feet. And if you're last week I taught you a new song uh, based on that idea which we're not going to sing again today Uh, can I get an amen anywhere does anybody want to say amen I will tell you at 11 o'clock when we sang that song uh, the revised lyrics of that song we finished it uh, and I I told them they were going to have to sing it again uh, because uh, our school superintendent, Dr. Beat, was over there, and he wasn't doing the hand motions. And, and so I told but I didn't make him do it. But head, heart, hands, feet, uh, the, Wesley understood the life of faith uh, in that particular way. Uh, and so the idea of holiness of heart, our inward disposition towards God, holiness is also about uh, an outward expression of our life, the way that we live in relationship to the people around us, the way we serve and bless those in need around us. And as we begin looking at this fourth aspect today, I want to begin uh, with this idea that those who take the Bible seriously will always be seriously challenged by the Bible. If that's your desire, if that's who you are, if you uh, desire to take the Bible seriously in your life, you will always be seriously challenged by the Bible. In other words, on some level, the gospel will always offend us. And that's actually a really, really good thing. Because if we find ourselves in a, in a place where the gospel doesn't offend us, it means that we've probably settled for something that is less than the gospel. Now what do I mean when I use that phrase, the gospel? I'm talking about the challenge of living your life as a deeply committed follower of Jesus. The challenge of holiness, holiness of heart and holiness of life and pursuing that as the singular aim of your life. If that's the goal of your life, you will continually be seriously challenged in that way of life. And, and the gospel plays no favorites in that. You are challenged Uh, in that in the same way that I am challenged in that. The gospel offends you in the same way that it sometimes offends me as well when I uh, grow in an understanding of what that requires of me. And here's something that we also all share together. We all have this tendency to dismiss those aspects of the gospel that are the most offensive to us. The ones that challenge us most significantly are those that we perceive as the gospel placing some sort of limitation on our life. And the reason for that is actually quite simple, because within us all there is still that two-year-old who only knows one word, and that word is no, 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 (laughs) And so the the offense, the challenge of the gospel, it's there because God wants us to grow beyond the two-year-old whose only word is no. God wants us to pursue holiness and a growth in holiness, a growth in faith is always God pulling us away from ourselves, pulling us towards a, a better understanding of our need for God and also opening our eyes to the plight of our neighbors all around us. It's why that tension is always there and we should welcome it because it means that we're taking the Bible seriously, but also the call of Christ seriously in our life. Uh, Now with that in mind, you may be wondering what in the world are we talking about uh, this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about some of the dynamics of early Methodism. Methodism began uh, in England uh, in the 18th century. And in the 18th century in England, uh, that was a time of great prosperity and growth all throughout the British Empire. But particularly in England because England was the first uh, European nation to experience the Industrial Revolution. And so within English society that had a high class and a low class, all of a sudden there was this brand new class of middle class families and workers because of the, uh, the jobs that were suddenly available because of what was happening within the larger society. And when Wesley left the comfort of the pulpit and, and he went out in the fields to preach, the ones he engaged were members of those lower classes of society. He engaged with those uh, who, who were marked by their poverty, he engaged with those who were just beginning to experience a little bit better life because of the jobs that were available to them. He was, he was interacting with people who, who, who were addicts, uh, uh, who were seeking to live a different life, and the gospel transformed their life. Those who used to gamble didn't gamble anymore. And if you stop gambling, you have more money, you have more resources to take care of your life, which is a, a great thing, right? If you, uh, if you have a, a, an addiction in your life, whatever it might be, if you stop spending money on that, all of a sudden there's resources that are available. And this actually created a problem. Within the early days of the movement, a problem that Wesley would later describe, he wrote in, uh, at the age of 83, uh, something entitled Thoughts on Methodism. And this is what he described as the dynamic uh, that was present in those early years. He said, wherever riches increased, the essence of religion, the mind that was in Christ, decreased in the same proportion, In other words, those whose lives were transformed, those whose lives got better, they were able to not only take care of the basic needs for themselves and for their families, but also began to live a more comfortable life. Those whose lives were transformed by the gospel, their commitment actually decreased as a result. Their commitment to the gospel, particularly in the area of money and possessions and the way that they lived in relationship to that. And so one of the passions of Wesley's ministry was talking about money and possessions and the danger of wealth. Now, I will tell you as a pastor, Here, here's the hardest thing about preaching about money and possessions. It's not what you think it is. It's not a concern that everyone in the room is going to feel uncomfortable. That's just a given, you know, that's just, you know, it's going to have, it's not, it's not the awkwardness. You're not worried about people getting up and walking out because most of the time people are really polite and don't want to do that. But that's not what the biggest concern is. It's not even how much it challenges you personally to to, to show Share that the most significant challenge is trying to decide which scripture to use because the scriptures that deal with money in the Bible are so abundant, there's so much content to choose from. Because it was one of Jesus' favorite topics, and it's something that we find all throughout the scriptures. For instance, today we could talk about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, Hey, these are all the things that I've been doing, Jesus. I have been living according to the law. I've had this commitment in my life, and I just want to know, is there anything else that I should do? And Jesus says, Well, you know, there's just, just one more thing. I think you should go and sell everything that you have and come back and follow me. Or Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells uh, what's often referred to as the parable of the rich fool. It's, a, uh, it's someone who experiences an unexpected, amazing harvest. And, and when he brings in the harvest, he realizes that the barns that he has aren't even big enough to hold the harvest. And so he chooses to tear down those barns and build bigger barns to, to store his abundant wealth. And Jesus ends the story by saying, this guy didn't even understand that his life could end like that. The modern-day translation of that, by the way, is he who dies with the most toys still dies. That's the same thing as what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Or we could look at the book of James. Uh, James 5 uh, begins in this way. Verse 1 says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. And it doesn't get any better after that in the rest of James 5. Or what Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but, but rather store up treasures in heaven, uh, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break up and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. You either love the one and hate the other, be devoted to the one, disloyal to the other. You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says. But the... Text that may uh, most clearly express what, what Wesley continually taught in relationship to money is 1 Timothy chapter 6. and uh, I want to invite you to turn there. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, you can find 1 Timothy 6 on page 1848 uh, in the blue Bibles that are available for you. And Let me just tell you a little bit about the context of what I'm going to read to you. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul written to Timothy. What what a big surprise here. Written to Timothy, a man younger than Paul. We don't know quite the age difference between the two. But what's clear in the writing that Paul does uh, to Timothy is that this is a much younger man who Paul is mentoring and discipling. And Paul sees him as a future leader in the church. He sees him as someone who will step into the role that Paul has had at the end of Paul's life, that that he will continue the work of uh, of helping these young communities of faith continue to grow in their life. And so in chapter 6, we have Paul offering words of advice to Timothy. And what I want you to notice as you listen here is I'm going to read you a section where Paul talks about the dangers of wealth. And then I'm going to read you another section where Paul talks about the opportunities, uh, the good things that wealth can do in our lives and also in the kingdom of God that we seek to build. So first, uh, beginning at verse 6, Paul says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then jump with me to verse 17. Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, those who are rich, to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. John Wesley grew up in a poor home. Uh, His father was a priest in a small parish. There were many mouths to feed uh, in Wesley's home growing up. And uh, his father Samuel knew very little time in his life where he wasn't in debt to someone. In fact, during Wesley's youth, uh, his father Samuel, again, the Anglican priest, spent time in debtor's prison as a result of the debt that he had incurred in his life. Uh, Now, Wesley followed in his father's footsteps. He also would become an Anglican priest, but his first role was not serving in a parish. His first role was serving as a fellow at Lincoln College in Oxford. He was a professor there. And and as a professor at Lincoln College, his starting salary was was a pretty good one. It was one that provided for him a a comfortable life. And as someone who'd grown up in poverty, Wesley enjoyed that. (laughs) I mean, he enjoyed, as, as any of us would, ha- having the resources to not only provide for his own needs, but to have a little bit extra, to, to engage in some things, to, 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 to be able to buy some things that made his life more comfortable. But it was during that, that early period where Wesley had an experience that changed his perspective on, uh, on this, this comfort that, that he enjoyed uh, as a result uh, of his role as a fellow at Lincoln College. Charles White uh, in Christianity Today describes the experience in this way. Wesley had just finished paying for some pictures for his room. When one of the chambermaids, the housekeepers, came to his door, it was a cold winter day and he noticed that she had nothing to protect her except a thin linen gown. And so he reached into his pocket to give her some money to buy a coat, but upon doing so he found that he had too little left. And immediately the thought struck him that the Lord was not pleased with the way that he had spent his money He asked himself, Will the master say, Well done, good and faithful steward. Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? Wesley's most famous sermon on this topic was entitled, The Use of Money. And he began it in the same way that that Paul did. He spoke about money as equally suited to the best as well as to the worst of uses. And and then he structured the rest of the message around three simple rules, which many of you have heard before. Uh, The three rules were gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Now, that first one may surprise you a little bit that Wesley would say you should gain all you can. But uh, part of understanding that is knowing that Wesley despised laziness. He hated the idea of wasting time. He believed that everyone should work hard. He wanted the people known as Methodists to be known as the ones in wherever, whatever context they worked in, as the ones who would work the hardest, who would uh, continue to learn and grow in their skills so that they could find a better job. He wanted them to be known as people. Uh, who were willing to work hard at everything uh, that, that, uh, that they did. If Wesley was here today, I'm convinced that if he spent a week among us, the first sermon that Wesley would, would, would share with us was about how much we waste in terms of our time. I mean, he just he, he couldn't fathom it from his, his perspective. He would rail on social media that first week uh, in that first sermon. And the way in which we waste so much time because he believed that all of your time should be given in an effort that was, uh, that was good and, and was productive. Uh, he did offer these warnings that, that you should not gain all you can at the expense of your life or your health. You should not en- engage in a trade that was harmful to your own soul nor one which would pro- pro- would harm others in any of those same ways. But he believed you should gain all you can. He, the second thing was that he said you should save all you can. And this wasn't, as we think about it, this wasn't the rainy day fun. This wasn't saving for a comfortable retirement. When Wesley talked about saving, what he was really talking about was how to avoid wasting. And here's just a couple things he said. He said, don't waste your money on things that gratify the flesh or are desiring to the eyes. Don't waste your money on extravagant or expensive clothes. Spend no money to gratify the pride of life or to gain the admiration of others. He said, you should not buy others applause at such a high price. And then he made this observation that the more that we indulge in our desires, the more our requirements for those desires to be satisfied, the more they grow. And then finally he talked about give all you can. He said, do not imagine that you have done anything merely by gaining and saving all you can. Do not stop here. Making and saving money is nothing if we fail to go forward to the final purpose. God positioned you here not as an owner but as a steward, a manager. By depositing good of various kinds within you. But the sole ownership of all of these things rests with God. And they can never be taken from him. And so you should give to God everything that you have. Do not confine yourself to this or that percentage of your income. Give to God not a tenth, a third, or a half. Be it more or less, give God all that belongs to God. Give to yourself your household, the family, of faith, and all humankind in such a way that you can render a good account of your stewardship when you can no longer be God's steward. So that day when he reached into his pockets and he didn't have enough money to buy a coat for this, this housekeeper, Wesley resolved to live his life in a different way. And that resolution was this, Wesley said uh, that for the rest of his life, he was going to live off of the starting salary for a fellow at Lincoln College, which was 30 pounds a year. Now, the second year of his tenure there, they actually doubled his salary to 60 pounds a year. And so in that second year of his tenure, he lived off 30 pounds a year and he gave 30 away. His salary continued to grow. He got 90 pounds a year, and that year he lived off 30 pounds, and he gave 60 pounds away. It eventually would grow to 120 pounds, and that year he lived off 30 pounds, and he gave 90 pounds away. Wesley's income, uh, at its height in his life, mainly as a result of his writings and the revenue that that generated, at its height, he brought in 1,400 pounds one year, which had to be the moment where Wesley thought, you know, maybe. But that year he lived off 30 pounds. And he gave the rest away. It's estimated that over the course of his lifetime, Wesley gave away more than 30,000 pounds. And the way that he described his thinking on, uh, on this area of his life was this. He said, if upon my death I, uh, you find that I possess more than 10 pounds... You should know that I died a thief and a robber. And in 1791, when Wesley passed at the age of 87, he possessed a grand total of six pounds. Now you may think to yourself, this is so out of step with the world that we live in today. And it is. But it was also dramatically out of step with the world that Wesley lived in, in in his day. If we were to ask of our world, of our culture, you know, what, what, what rules should we live by? This is what our culture would say, that you should gain all you can, that you should spend all you can, and you should give what you can. I mean, that's the world that we live in today. That you should gain all you can, that you should spend all you can, that you should give what you can. And what Wesley saw in early Methodism is absolutely true. Studies have shown that the more that we earn, the more that we have, the less that we give. There's a percentage of our income. And the less that we have, even though this sounds totally backwards, the less that we have, actually the more that we give As a percentage of what we earn. That's just human nature. That's, that's just who we are. That is the dangers of wealth. That is a recognition that the more that we possess, the greater the chance that what we own ends up owning us. Now here's a few things I want you to hear today. First thing I want you to know is that the ushers are done. I mean, and they don't have anything else to do. Okay, we're not passing the plate again. That's not, that's not the purpose of today. I want you to hear that the purpose of, of today is not about uh, challenging you or, or in any way trying to make you feel guilty or whatever about your annual giving to the church budget and, and, and this has nothing to do with the capital campaign that we're in to expand the, the, the life of, and ministry of this church. In fact... When we were putting this series together and we were looking at the five aspects of Methodism and out of the desire to be honest with you with what we believe actually led to the explosive growth of Methodism and this being one of the topics, I thought, I don't want to do that again because we've, we've talked about this and people are going to misinterpret it. It's not about those things. It is about understanding what it was that led to the explosive growth of Methodism in the early days. It was what Wesley emphasized, it was the way that he modeled this in his own life and the way in which as a result of that, West, uh, the, the, the Methodists in England transformed all society with the way they served and blessed, they gave out of charity to those around them. I want you to hear that every message that I have shared with you thus far in this series has challenged me personally and also pastorally. So so let me just confess to you this is a new suit. And I didn't buy it because I didn't have a suit. I have other suits in the closet. In fact, I have another navy blue suit in the closet. These are new shoes. And I had worn the old ones for quite a while, I mean, but they still looked fairly good. The soles needed some work, but but I have new shoes on today. And someone said to me earlier, I really like that new suit. And I thought, well, that's exactly what I'm going to talk about later. <laughs> so if you find yourself thinking or asking, is this really practical in the world that we live in today? I, I, I ask that same question. But I wonder if what Jesus would say in response is, David, what kind of question is that? What kind of question is that? Because we want to avoid what what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. Don't chase and fall into the trap. Don't don't be tempted to, to throw away everything for the sake of nothing. And don't miss the idea that within you, God has given you the resources to do tremendous good. For the sake of God's kingdom. And don't forget that those who take the Bible seriously. Will always be seriously challenged by the Bible. And we as people of faith should always embrace that. That should be our prayer. God we want to be seriously challenged. Because we don't want to settle for anything less. Than the fullness of what the gospel is. In seeking What Paul described as the life that is truly life. And so I do want to challenge you in the same way that sharing over the course of this series has challenged me. And the question I think is not how much more can we give? I don't think that's the question. I think the question is how willing are we to change the way that we live? For the sake of God's kingdom, and for the sake of seriously being challenged by the call of following Jesus. Let's pray together. Loving God, today we continue to pray as we have prayed in weeks past. We pray for an awakening among us. That you would stir us from our slumber. That Lord, you would continue to challenge us, help shape who we are, and may that understanding of our identity, Lord, may it also define for us where we might go. We confess to you together, Lord, we're all in the same boat. We hear the story of faithfulness and we think, whoa, (laughs) that is overwhelming. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in holiness, holiness of heart and holiness of life and, and in all the aspects of discipleship that you call us to pursue. May you give us the courage to do so by the grace that you give. And we pray all these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen.